Back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, September 24th, 2023. We've got another great show for this week. We'll be joined by Kevin Walsh of Groom Law Group, also known as The Legal Eagles. And then we'll be taking a look back at one of our best segments of the week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. Where we're going to start things off, as we always do, with a look at what's on Capitol Hill, what's going down in terms of regulation, litigation, arbitration, and a lot more. Joining us on the line, he is one half of the Legal Eagles. Kevin Walsh is a principal with Groom Law Group. That's an employee benefits law firm based in Washington, D.C. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. And, you know, it's always good to talk to you because, you know, as we get to the... Uh, the third quarter of the year, I like to think about it as, you know, when we do retirement savings, we really need to think about people who are, you know, in that third quarter of, of savings for, uh, for the retirement phase of their life. And, and we've had a lot of updates this week that really impact retirement savers. So, Kevin, to that end, uh, we love when you and David come on and, and, you know, either individually or together, of course, to talk about some of the latest rules and regulations. One, I think just came down from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission around misleading marketing practices by investment funds. You want to talk a little bit about this role, what it means, and we can take it from there. Yeah. So uh, this week, the SEC finalized its fund names rule. Um, and, you know, this seems kind of technical, but, you know, one thing the SEC has focused on over the years since at least 2001, when they first adopted their initial names rule is, you know, do investors, are investors getting information from the name of a fund? Um, is that information misleading? Is that information accurate? And, you know, so so to some extent, you know, the fund name is important. Like if we think about peanut butter, you know, in order for something to be marketed as peanut butter, the substance has to be at least 90% peanuts. So when we think about a fund name, and particularly in a context where we have a world where folks are interested in investing in ESG funds or are interested in investing in thematic funds, um, it's important that, you know, investors understand what they're, what they're being offered. And to the extent that a fund is named after one of these themed things that, you know, it really, it really reflects what the customer thinks they're buying. Yeah. It, it, Kevin, um, to that end, I mean, I guess the fallback position from the retirement industry and the, or more importantly, the investment industry is when you sign up for a fund in a retirement plan or just in general, you're you're provided a prospectus. Now, if anyone has seen a prospectus, gotten one in the mail, it's pretty thick, Kevin. There's a lot of, forgive the expression, a lot of legalese, a lot of jargon. It's really kind of hard to figure out oftentimes what is in those documents and how to equate that to the investment label. But you know that I guess that's kind of the fallback position for the industry, but I guess I could see merits in being able to, you know, if you if you're in a value fund, as an example, making sure that at least most of the investing is following that particular investment discipline. 
Yeah, I mean, so I think the prospectus is designed to provide investors with information, but the name itself is kind of the, you know, it's the cover of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the key here is if we look at what the SEC did this week, um, they have said that if your, you know, if your fund um, has a name that suggests particular characteristics, so growth or value or particular economic themes or strategies like AI, you know, big data, um, the fund is going to have to do a couple things. One is, you know, in the prospectus, they're going to have to define the terms they use and the criteria for selecting the investments. And they're going to have to define the terms in a way that makes sense to people. So the SEC suggests that you've got to use a, dic- a definition that is like one that would find in a dictionary. So I can't define, you know, I can't define big data uh, to mean something other than what folks would think it would generally mean. Kevin, yeah, ha- oh, go ahead. No, no, go, go. I mean, the other aspect of it is that 80% of the fund, of the fund's assets have to be invested uh, in a way that, you know, complies with uh, that, that targeted name. So you could have 20% invested in, you know, a different strategy or more generally, um, but 80% has to be invested in a manner that's consistent with the fund's theme. And that remaining 20% can't be invested, you know, in something against the fund's name. So if you're like an ESG fund, and you're saying, you know, clean energy, um, you could do 80% in clean energy and 20% in, you know, regular S&P, but you really probably couldn't do 20% in, you know, dirty energy as the other 20%, because it it, it could be misleading to investors. Um, so those are the big things. And, and here, you know, fund managers will be required to quarterly uh, check to make sure they're meeting that 80%. And then they'll have some time to get back in compliance if it turns out they've dipped below that 80%. Um, but to some extent, what this does is it makes the covers of the books, it makes the names of the funds um, a lot more descriptive of what's inside the book. Um, I wish we had that in, in actual book marketing because <laughs> I, I tend to shop by cover and, and I feel like there's no book name uh, rule. No, I mean, I always buy on the, on the, on the, on the count of the Fabio cover. But I'm often disappointed by the the storyline because he looks so, you know, the hair flowing and everything. Uh, Kevin, let's let's talk about retirement fiduciaries for a second because one of their responsibilities, and they can delegate this, but they don't ever lose the, the true fiduciary responsibility, is to pick and choose investments. I know we're kind of early on with this rule. It was released on Wednesday of this week by the SEC. But just in your estimation, how do you, if you're a fiduciary, you're responsible for investing. In your plan, and that plan, by the way, it could be a four hundred one k, it could be a four hundred three b, it could probably be a pension plan. What do you what do you need to, to infer from this? How do you how do you think about this role as it relates to what your responsibilities are? I mean, I think the first thing is it'll probably make diligence a little bit easier um, because it will, you know, it'll help folks do their diligence on funds um, that reflect different investment strategies. So, you know when a fiduciary is making a decision to add a fund to a lineup or make an investment in a fund, um, and they're thinking, you know, really solely in the economic interest of participants and beneficiaries, um, it's helpful to, at a glance, understand what the theme or strategy of the fund is going to be. Now, you know, this won't be a today thing. Um, You know, for fund managers, if you have a a fund of a smaller fund, you have uh, 24 months to come online. Other managers have 30 months to come into compliance with this rule. So, there's going to be plenty of time for interim guidance and for you know additionally other regulators to explain the consequences of this. Uh, but for now, you know I think the key is you know don't judge books by their cover. But you know hopefully as we as this rule takes effect, 
it'll be easier to at least do that first layer of diligence by looking at the cover, by looking at the name of a fund. Now, Kevin, this last question for you, then I promise I'll let you go enjoy the rest of your weekend. But this role tends to apply broadly to investment labels, so not just one particular type of investment. But is there more or will there be more regulations and more thoughts around, for example, ESG, Environmental Social Governments Fund, Governance Funds? Are, are there other rules that potentially we could be looking at that kind of piggyback or follow on this rule? Yeah. So this rule applies to fund naming generally um, and for thematic names in general. It's not it's not particularly ESG focused, although you know, if you have a fund that is ESG related, it might it might be relevant to the extent that's in the name of the fund. Um, we do know that the SEC is working on uh, ESG rules uh, as we speak, and so you know, Jeff, that's a great point. I would expect that sometime in the next few months we'll be talking about a uh, an SEC ESG uh, rulemaking initiative. Yeah, well, it looks you know, last couple of weeks ago we were talking about the Internal Revenue Service with delay of catch up. We're always talking about the Department of Labor. Now we're talking about the SEC. They're really keeping us busy, Kevin. And I think, as you said, we're going to be talking about a lot of rules and regulations as well as litigation in the next quarter and the year to come. Kevin Walsh, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. And thank you, listeners. Have a great weekend. Bye, Kevin. Bye-bye. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. Well, recently I sat down with Mary Morris. She's the Chief Executive Officer of Virginia 529 to discuss retirees entering their third act, which requires savings for education. Let's give it a listen. Mary, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us in the program this morning. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you as always. Uh, it, it is. And I love talking with retirement with you. I also love talking education with you. 
Uh, Mary, let's start with Americans living longer. So we've got greater longevity and they're in better health. That's always a positive, really, at least from their perspective. Um, how has this changed how we define retirement? <laughs> I put myself in that group. You know, I was like, oh, I'm right there. It's like, uh, well, for a lot, retirement is time for your your next act, your third act, if you will. Uh, you know, for many, if you can retire in your 50s, even into your early 60s, you've got a long ways to go, hopefully, if you have stayed engaged. And taking courses keeps your mind engaged. So even if you want to take classes just to get out um, for social engagement, to for personal growth, to keep your, your, your brain working, it's a great idea. And there are many opportunities. But you know, for a lot, it's a chance to take what they've learned over a lifetime and apply it to something a little bit different, whether that's consulting, it's a whole new field, uh, you know, whatever it might be. And a lot of times you need education for that. Uh, and again, it could be new learning. It could just be enhancing your computer or social media skills. So you might need a certificate program. You might just need some non-credit classes, or you might go for a whole brand new degree. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about some of the big topic cybersecurity, artificial intelligence. But as you said, it could be consulting. One of the things we saw married post pandemic was more Americans interested in the gig economy. So uh, maybe doing several jobs and doing it for multiple employers are mature Americans, you know, people in, in our category embracing that trend. Yeah, I think so. You know, at least what you hear. And when I see people out and about, you you will find that looking at different opportunities. I think particularly coming out of the pandemic, uh, some folks who worked in an office and, and felt like they needed to come back and maybe didn't want to, or they got used to having a more flexible lifestyle, have thought about, well, how might I make that happen? And, uh, you know, so that you have some opportunities. What we've been talking about for a long time in 529 programs, and I try to tell everybody, everyone should have a 529 account. You just keep it for forever. Start it when you're young. Um, whether you have kids or not, you may want to go back to school yourself. If you have kids, you can change the ownership. If you don't end up using it for those children or you know you go through life you bring it back in and use it for yourself uh you know so there's just a lot of flexibility there and you just never know and you know we saw this during the recession back in in you know the late aughts um you know you've seen seen a little bit during the pandemic just life interrupts sometimes at whatever age you are you could be in your 40s and realize where i am is a dead end I, that job has gone away um, you know everyone's freaking out a little bit these days about ai and how that's going to impact employment and so one you might want to take some classes to understand what is artificial intelligence machine learning you know the different uses for it uh, and how that might impact you and how you can make sure that you can incorporate that into your future so the possibilities are endless and having an opportunity to plan and save for it. And that's obviously where a 529 comes in. You know, some of the things I've read about this are, you know, seniors are taking out loans to go back to school. And uh, you know, every time I read that, I go, just if you'd started that 529, you know, once the kids were out of school, just keep putting a little bit of money in for yourself. You just never know when you might be able to use it. Uh, you know, you've got some opportunities. And, and now with the Roth rollover opportunities that are coming in 2024, again, tying retirement to education savings, you've got more opportunities as well. A really good point. And, and it is College Savings Month. I should have, should have acknowledged that to begin with. Our, you, you talk about the 529, and we're going to get into some of the education options in the second segment. But 
to your point, and, and when you started talking about taking out a loan, I thought I thought about $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. But are mature Americans, from your perspective, because you have one of the largest 529 plans in the country, uh, not you particularly, but you you manage, you have oversight of it. Yeah, is, that a, is that a big source of education planning for mature Americans like us? Not yet, I don't think. You know, the majority still of our accounts are, are for those, our families, are for adults with younger children who are planning for their futures. But we're seeing a little bit of an uptick in that. I think we are seeing people hold on to their accounts. I mean, if they don't spend them entirely, and I think we've always had that. You know, we, we, we do plot out where we, we can see the trajectory and 529 accounts, you know, historically have been used the way they, I think they were intended. Uh, you know, there's always been this thought, oh, people are just gonna use them for the tax advantages don't see that happening. They, they use it because they want to plan for education. So you see a steady climb if you have a beneficiary who's a child, and when they reach age 18, they start to use it. But it also plateaus out, and you can look at 21, 22, 25, and there's still money in those accounts frequently. You know, they don't, it doesn't just all the way go, all of a sudden go down to zero in all of those accounts. So that tells me that people are using them differently. Maybe they're holding on to it because they had a child that got a scholarship, but they know they want to go to grad school. And of course, you can use your 529 account for graduate school. I think that's the nice thing. And, and the word we're trying to get out to folks at any age, you can use your 529 account for a, a wide variety of educational options. It's not just for bricks and mortar, four-year education. Right. It can be used for certificate and credential programs. It can be used, uh, you know, even for some non-credit courses if there's a, if a cost. You don't get all of the um, other deductions like for room and board right now unless you're in a, a degree program and, and taking a certain number of hours. But the, the costs themselves, and again, for seniors, there's some really nice options. Uh, I've been learning a little bit about it. There are a lot of sort of non-credit options. What is it, the OSHER? Um, Lifelong Learning Institute, which is in, I think, 125 universities. I know George Mason in Virginia is one of them. I believe UNC, the UNC system participates and just provides opportunities to take a lot of interesting courses at a very reduced cost for seniors. Um, a lot of colleges also make the application process easier for seniors and have some tuition waivers and grant programs for seniors as well. Um, so as with everything, no matter what age you are, you should do your research. Uh, you know, find the best opportunities for you, find a program that works for you. If you have a 529 account, so if you've been saving, you've got some money set aside, that's just a bonus, right? That really helps. But there may be other ways that you can make it, again, really affordable and something that will really boost you into, into your future. And, you know, I, I know the older I get, I push out what I think is old um, every year. It goes, oh, well, let's see, maybe 90 you're starting to get, I, you know, really, it gets to be a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty much out there. So you've got a lot of time after most people retire to have a really nice and interesting life. You know, I, I taught at the college level. I have been involved in education my whole life, so I love it. The opportunity to take classes, to keep learning is really important. You know, I do a lot of just continuing education myself. I go to a lot of conferences now as a working adult. I love that. I love to sit in the classroom and have people impart information to me or be able to discuss new ideas. Um, it's just a great way to stay engaged uh, and to stay up to date on things and, and to really have a better life, no matter what age you are. Well, what a very timely topic. People are living longer. 
They want to go back to school, maybe learn a new skill. Just learn in general. Very interesting. We always appreciate talking to Mary. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRNAM. We'll have two very special guests. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. And don't forget, roll with the changes.